The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, part of the Banker Podcast Portfolio. As always, I'm Liz Lumley, and today we are talking about digital transformation and future tech in financial services. Functional banking magic has always looked at innovation through the lens of the bank. Most global banks are at various stages along a digital transformation journey. Emerging technology from blockchain to AI as well as quantum to the metaverse is now challenging priorities and stretching resources. Recently, financial tech provider Broadridge released a study looking at just this, the 2023 Digital Transformation and Next Gen Tech Study, which serves surveyed 500 C-suite executives and their direct reports across the buy and sell side globally on their current plans and attitudes towards ongoing digital journeys and technological impacts. So today we're going to sit down with Broadridge and SEB to discuss some of these findings. So joining me today for a great discussion is Samir Pandiri, president of Broadridge International, and Christian Gardner, co-head of equities at SEB. Gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to functional banking magic thank you for having us thank you very much lovely so thank you so much so i'll probably start with uh, samir i mean why don't you can you talk us through some of the main findings of the study you know as you mentioned we surveyed over 500 uh, firms c-suite executives and the firms in general ranged anywhere from a billion to 250 billion so quarter of a trillion dollars in aum or assets under management so it was a pretty substantial undertaking on our uh, on our behalf. And some of the things that we found were very, very interesting and surprising. So as an example, we found that three biggest challenges that uh, firms faced was uh, insufficient budgets. You know, almost 39% of them didn't think they had enough money. Um, the next finding was staff resistance to change. You know, that was a big one. And then, you know, people were concerned about the market and the economic disruption and how that could actually potentially impact their next gen technologies in terms of what they're trying to implement. A couple of other things which were a little surprising is that across the European firms that we surveyed, almost all of them expect to be spending more in technology in general over the next couple of years, and also very specifically for cyber technology and cloud-based and platform type applications and data visualizations. So again, you know, in terms of what they were zeroing on, those three seem to be particularly of interest, you know, to these firms. I think all of them also see that um, they are technology advantages that come to the firm from automation, from digitization, um, and, and really, the faster that they can drive these technology transformations, you know, the, the quicker they can actually get to their business objectives, which is increasing assets, taking care of their clients, product innovation. So, you know, some really interesting things around the globe in terms of what's actually happening and what people are finding. 
Mm. It's really interesting around budgets, but I, I'm not I'm not surprised about the staff being adverse to change. I think if anyone who knows the financial services hold on Excel spreadsheets is probably not too surprised by stuff like that. But um, so I'll move on to uh, Christian. I mean, was there any of these findings that that surprised you at all? I think the report was a very fascinating read in general, and I I recognize most of of the actual results in it. What surprised me a bit was the new generation of technologies like artificial intelligence, for example, that I think it was 71% of the people who answered this actually claimed that AI is already significantly changing the way they work. That, I must say, surprised me quite a lot. I mean, sure, they have taken huge steps the last years. I mean, obviously, with chat GPT, it blew everyone away and so on. But that that as much as 70% or thereabouts actually said that it significantly changed the way they work today. That surprised me quite a lot. I mean, we use it for finding anomalies in log files, and we use it for some of our internal use, but we don't use it in anything that results in a recommendation or any type of client interaction based on AI. We don't. So that, that surprised me quite a lot. At the same time, it said, I mean, if we take cloud, that also came out as a very important mm. game changer. And that I totally agree with. I mean, we, right. we're investing quite heavily in that. And that is already reducing cost uh, from our own physical hardware and maintenance, obviously. And, and having the on-demand resources like cloud provides is it's a significant game changer, uh, in particular when it comes efficiencies. And maybe we can talk a bit later as well around the distributed ledger technology. That's also an area we look into a lot. Mm, yeah, I, I think I think we uh, definitely will. But no, I, I, I agree with you in a bit. I, I mean, I think cloud is now almost mainstream at, at a lot of banks. So it's had a significant change over the past few years. And But AI, I think, is just going to grow. Um, probably it's going to become more significant over the, over the coming years, especially with advances in uh, natural language processing and, and all that fun stuff. So, Christian, I, why don't I stay with you a bit? Because I wanted to talk a little bit about budgets. I'm always fascinated with kind of the overall IT budget of a bank and how much banks spend on kind of just keeping the lights on and also how much they spend on, on innovation. And and in in the report, it said firms now spend 27% of their overall IT budget on digital transformation, which is a 16 percentage point increase versus last year. Why do you think we've, we've seen this, this increase in a year, Christian? I think it's not only the last year. I mean, the last couple of years, we, we as a bank at least have continuing to invest quite heavily, in particular, trying to get rid of the hurdles that the legacy platforms provides. So if you look at the total investment um, that the bank as a whole spends, then I think the numbers you gave is about right, if we look at our business as well. The significant chunk of it is going into group functions, so more significant common initiatives rather than customer-specific features. and, and that. That, if anything, is concerning me a bit, and I think it's concerning a lot of the other product areas as well. And that is, as you already mentioned in, in the beginning there, so cybersecurity, for example, we see a significant increase in spending on uh, various, various know-your-customer KYC, basically uh, type systems, uh, making sure that we avoid asking the question, 
to customers over and over again for the same data sets, things like that. We, have, we are spending a lot of money on right now to take to them, to be able to take the next step in actually improving the offering to the customers as well. And that's, that's an area that I really much look forward that we will get to. But uh, as, as the report quite clearly stated, I mean, we, are, we have the digital native firms that are already on the pursuit of greater products and great I mean, better customer value and all that and more relevant services where, where the laggards, if we're going to call them that, still have quite a lot of housekeeping to do to actually to build a foundation to take the next steps. And I think that's what, what you can see in those numbers as well. Mm. It's very interesting, the, the, the housekeeping element. So I'd love to get Samir's views on what, we, what you think some of the drivers for the increase in, in budgets have been. You know, in, from my perspective, I think uh, there are three or four types of macro things that are impacting all firms, you know, some more than others. But I would say, you know, in no particular order of the following. First is all firms have a lot of legacy technology that they have to deal with. So they have a mix of what I would call modern, you know, sort of very current uh, applications alongside with technologies that are mainframe based 20, 30, maybe even 40 years old. So that increases the complexity in terms of how the business runs, how the technology is organized. And I, and I think you know, that's, that's one area that creates friction in the ecosystem that they're trying to solve for. The second is cost. Everybody is universally trying to drive the costs down and so that they can become more efficient, especially as margins get squeezed for let's say asset managers and banks, you know, that becomes a very, very important uh, thing that they need to achieve. The third is around risk and resiliency. Again, there's a lot more regulatory scrutiny. There's a lot more investor scrutiny around making sure that you have acceptable risk profile in your technology stack and that they're resilient, whether it's cyber or you know, just sort of you know, being up and running availability. So these are all important things you know, that they have to you know, uh, think about. And again, as Christian said, you know, the, um, they're also trying to launch new products, new services to really differentiate themselves in the marketplace you know, with their specific clients. So again, I think all of this stuff is sort of driving, you know, sort of this increase in budget spending. And the, perhaps the very last thing I would add is the need for real-time or near real-time data so that to drive decision-making. I think gone are the days where, you know, you can use your hunch or your instinct to make business decisions. You need to make them in real-time and it has to be much more data driven. So getting those data visualizations from you know, all these technology stacks is really very important. So I think these are the four or five fundamental drivers that are driving this increase in budgets. I'd love to see a study about the hunches versus the data. That's that's for another podcast. But I wanted to stay, I wanted to stay with you, Samir. I mean, because uh, when talking earlier, Christian mentioned you know cybersecurity, and and I've seen this across the board, the increasing threat of cyber cybersecurity across the industry. So so Samir, I mean, what do you what have you seen as some of the some of the causes of of this increase? Is it just the war in Ukraine, or is or is there more going on? 
I, th I think there's a lot going on. I mean, the war in Ukraine is perhaps one thing. There have been, you know, significant, you know, cyber breaches, you know, ransomware attacks, et cetera, that have, you know, impacted, you know, pretty high profile companies in the last several years. So that's, a, that's an area of concern. And also, look, I think boards have to show or at least demonstrate to their regulators that they're actually taking this issue seriously that their company technology teams are doing something about it. I mean, there's no, there's never a guarantee of 100% that you, know, you will be completely safe. But what you need to demonstrate is that you're actually taking the issue seriously, you're taking actions, and you are you know, learning and you know, getting better you know, on this topic. And, and by the way, you know, we, we, this impacts all industries, not just banking, not just asset managers. I mean, this is for manufacturing. You know, you could be in almost anything. Um, this is a really important topic because there's so much technology now embedded in every single thing that we do. Everything in your iPhone to your computer to almost everything, your refrigerator, that you really have to think about this as a very prevalent and meaningful issue. Interesting. So, okay, we're going to move on to, I know that uh, Christian wanted to speak about this uh, in blockchain and, and distributed ledger technology. I'm always interested to see regional differences. And, and the study found that European firms were more bullish on blockchain than their U.S. or Asian counterparts, and SEB being a, a, a well-known European bank. I mean, Christian, what, what does it mean to have DLT become the core of financial markets infrastructure in, in a decade? Yeah, I mean, we have been following that particular I mean, phenomena, if that's the right word, uh, for the last 10 years or so. And I mean, our conclusion so far is that it has a phenomenal or great potential to simplify quite a few of the processes. At the same time, markets are quite efficient as they are. So, I mean, from an infrastructure point of view, we are very bullish on the distributed ledger technology. And we are, for example, just about in the next couple of weeks to issue our first digital bond on that. So, so in that respect, we are very, very bullish. Uh, I mean, in particular, it can be, when now when the US, for example, goes down to, to T plus one rather than T plus two delivery, I mean, distributed ledgers could potentially bring it down to T zero. So where you in one, atomic transaction obviously exchange the asset for money or what, if that's what you're buying some kind of asset and then that removes the role of a middleman so in some respect that could be seen as a threat as a bank quite often act in that role at the same time there are quite a lot of other roles that we have today that are still relevant and that will continue to be very, very relevant around advisory around the primary market issuance around execution, around uh, custody, for example, even if you can be self-custody on some of those distributed ledgers, very few or more or less none of the institutions we've been talking to have an interest of actually becoming self-custody and cannot be for various regulatory reasons. So, so it's a very interesting area. What, what I personally have been following very, very closely as well is the DeFi space and the DeFi protocol. And that, I found truly fascinating, both when it comes to the potential of conditional payments, where you in advance can actually agree on, on what conditions that needs to be met for the payment to actually go through. 
but there are, there are also quite a few question marks still on taking that next step. Yeah. Do you kind of see the future that a decentralized financial ecosystem and a centralized ecosystem will kind of sit next to each other, or do you see one? Do you see decentralized replacing the current system? No, we don't see it replacing it anytime soon, at least. Um, so it will be a complement, and it will be a way or a, a quite a strong catalyst to actually drive efficiencies. That's that's our view on it. But but still, regulation uh, there there is still a lack of regulation. We have Mika coming that will help quite a bit, but still. For example, when, it needs to be extremely clear who is responsible. If, for example, a smart contract, if we talk about DeFi, has a flaw that results in a loss for any of the participants, uh, who would then be responsible? Those type of questions need to be cleared before we can see any type of mass adoption in this space. But um, but it it's for sure very interesting. Yeah, no, it is a, it is an incredibly interesting topic, and again, again, as I said before, we'll get into it probably in further in further podcast. So, Samir, I'd love to get your view on my my next question because I think you kind of have a a nice kind of helicopter view of of a lot of the industry. Part of the study said um, that not taking digitally native competitors seriously enough was listed as the biggest mistake by a significant percentage of respondents, about thirty nine percent. How pre- prevalent do you see that attitude in the industry? I think it's fairly prevalent, and uh, but I do think that there's a barbell uh, sort of a type of situation developing where that you have firms on either end of that barbell or either end of that spectrum. So again, first of all, if you just look at what the study said, you know, it said 39% of European firms, you know, just sort of, you know, ignore this, right? You know, and it's easy to get wrapped up in your own technology ecosystem. Again, as you know, Christian mentioned, you know, as, you know, there are lots of banks that have lots of technology, lots of complexity. And again, I'm not suggesting SCB is doing this, but you know, firms can, any firm can get wrapped up in its own sort of ecosystem and then forget about what's actually happening outside and um, you know, sort of miss the bigger picture, if you will, right? And if you look at the world, the world is actually moving towards, you know, platform services, cloud-based services, and integration of what I would call third-party apps and applications. So we really are kind of getting to a world of, you know, what I would call coexistence with many, many things. 10, 20 years ago, when you went on a company's website, all you saw was that particular company's applications. Today, you will see all types of third-party applications, including that specific company's um, you know, um, application. So again, I think that coexistence is gonna be very, very important. And some of this is actually being driven by the digital natives, you know, because they are innovating, they're quick, they're nimble, and they can do this in a very seamless way in terms of integrating with banks or asset managers or platform providers. So again, I think, you know, my own view personally is that the future belongs to firms that do three things and they have to do this very well. First, they have to be adapters of technology and technology change. The second, they have to be technology innovators. You know, they have to want to innovate and that innovation come come from within the firm 
or from outside of the firm. And then the third is a mindset where they're thinking about providing services as a platform as opposed to individual banking or financial services. Um, so that when you talk about the customer, there's a much bigger value proposition that you can bring to them um, in, in a more cohesive way. So I think that's who the future belongs to. And there, there are gonna be some that do it well, and there'll be others that are gonna follow and uh, and maybe miss out on some opportunities. Interesting. Okay, so- If I may yeah, comment, go for it. Go for I, I, I totally agree uh, with, and we've been talking about that quite a lot when it comes to open banking. And, and, and I think the, it's so crucial to have the ability to combine the products that you do have within your organization together with external vendors of various kinds. And, and to be able to actually create unique services that actually helps the customer to become more efficient on their side as well. I mean, I think up until quite recently, at least from, an, from our perspective, we have all the products that the customer needs, but we still expect them to, to actually hold together certain processes on their side to be able to utilize them all. What we can see now when, I mean, in particular in equities and so on, the next step, I mean, the actual commission income has been erased to the bottom in some respect. The next saving area is for the customers to be able to actually reduce the number of people they have in middle office functions and so on. And they start uh, using various of our products and expect us to do more of the operational part, using swaps and so on. But that also comes back to the cybersecurity topic in that and one complicating factor, at least to me, and as you mentioned as well now with the dramatic shift in the geopolitical landscape that was recently in particular in Sweden as well actually with lots of cyber attack and very significant increase in them actually the more complex that network of services becomes where you also have dependencies on software as a service and so on you need to it creates a web of dependencies between both vendors and the data centers and maintenance teams both within our organization and with the vendors. So I think there will be a lot of focus on actually on, on making sure that you, we have the resilience in each of those areas and to be able to take this one step further now with the increased threat. No, it is interesting. It is a, it is a, a whole journey banks are going on. They're no longer islands among, amongst themselves. They're working in this ever-changing ecosystem. Um, I can't I can't let this episode go without talking about the metaverse. It's it's now the law, um, but I'd love to get both both reviews on it. So, uh, Christian, why don't I stay with you first? The report said that European firms aren't as keen on the metaverse as other regions. Do you see this as a, a conservative viewpoint or a realistic viewpoint? Too cautious or just right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I think it's still. I mean, there is definitely a great potential there as well. Uh, we we have invested a bit in it. We we I mean obviously use various virtual reality hardware to actually try to mimic what it would look like to be a customer in a in like a, yeah in virtual reality and so on. What what's more interesting to me with the metaverse comes back to the distributed ledgers as well and the ability to actually interact with assets that are then registered and held on a shared ledger 
I think that that area and the intersection between what is normally commonly known as metaverse is quite interesting. And we have, I mean, obviously the tech giants like Facebook even changed the name, right? Meta. So, I mean, there are lots of lots of investments going into this. I personally very much look forward to have a look at Apple's product launch in this area, probably before summer, because they, they tend to be maybe late to the party, but execute on it quite well. But, uh, and that comes back more to the core functions like shopping, entertainment, gaming, and, I mean, and potentially in the end also your financial services uh, to be able to do that in metaverse. But personally, I believe that the distributed ledgers and I mean, obviously cloud and, but AI as well will have a greater impact short term. Uh, but over time, this might make it a little bit more personal. I mean, we, with COVID and all that, I mean, we moved over to a lot of Teams meetings and Zoom meetings and so on. And we are quite, a conservative bank when it comes to physical meetings we value them and we really want to meet our customers and and uh, sure the metaverse might very well put you a little bit closer almost like if it was a real meeting but but it's not the same thing at least not in the near future you need eye tracking to be able to look each other in the eyes before you try to sell something <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Samir, I'd, I'd love to get your views on this. Why do you think there's sort of different different kind of attitudes towards the rise of the metaverse, especially in financial services? So I think two things uh, sort of come to me. The first is, depends on whether you're regulated activity or, you know, let's just say something that's much more freeform, you know, sort of, you know, supply and demand or consumer driven. I think if you're, if you're a regulated activity, like an asset manager or a bank or, you know, some other company, you're going to be much more in the short term looking at blockchain, DLT, cloud for innovation things, because, you know, you not only have to adapt the technology and make it work, but you also have to get your uh, regulators and your shareholders comfortable with what you're doing. So, you know, there's a, there's an element of caution there that I think, you know, you, you wouldn't have that necessarily in an unrestricted, let's say, a consumer or entertainment type of an activity. The second I would say for metaverse is, you know, it is not a sprint. It is absolutely a marathon, right? It is a long race. And we are probably at the one mile point, you know, in this race. Again, if you think about the iPhone, you know, which I don't know, I think came out about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, back in the early days, the amount of feature functionality and the dependence that you had on your phone was very little compared to now. I mean, people, I mean, you, you, you almost couldn't do anything without your phone. And I think the same is going to happen with metaverse, right? I think in, you know, in this sort of marathon over time, people are going to get really creative. You know, they're going to find different use cases. They're going to find entertainment applications. They're going to find banking applications, maybe investment applications. And that's the exciting part. So I think the question is, you have to, first of all, you could stick your head in the sand and ignore it, or you can watch this space. And my recommendation is you watch this space. And then the second thing is figure out for your own company, for your own firm, what is the 
pace of change that you're willing to accept? You know, is it a sprint for you? Is it a marathon or somewhere in between? And start experimenting and unleash that creativity that you have within the firm to, you know, unlock some of the potentials of whether it's metaverse or, you know, whatever the application might be. And by the way, that's what we have in front of us today. In five years time or 10 years time, there may be something even cooler than the metaverse or, you know, something that we haven't even imagined. So as they say, buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So we've got my final question. I mean, we started off our discussion where um, where Christian said, you know, he was kind of a little surprised at at the significant number of, of respondents who talked about. Um, the impact of AI um, on their on their firms. Uh, going going into the future, having uh, more of these surveys and reports, how do you expect these views and priorities to change in the future? So, Christian, why don't I start with you, and then then we'll we'll finish up with with, uh, with 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 Samir. No, it's a very good question. I mean, for me to be able to invest, I normally need a customer that is clearly asking for the picture, <clears throat> and I think that's. That's been a bit challenging because I've been actually ignoring that rule and started investing on DLT and and blockchain technology. And so well before we had any type of customer interest in Sweden and the regulators here was very, very late to the party actually and being verbally very conservative and actually concerned about, about crypto and any bank having anything to do with it from a money laundering perspective and so on. But as always, I mean, over time, regulators become a bit more, you know, relaxed. Maybe not relaxed is the right word, but their knowledge goes up and they understand the benefits of actually technologies like this. But my answer would still be for us to be able to take large, big steps when it comes to investments, then we need a customer on board that are willing to take that those steps with us. Mm-hmm. That's starting to happen now with distributed ledgers. When it comes to meta, it has not yet happened. And uh, sometimes you need to do it without. I mean, that's Steve Jobs and Apple. I mean, they obviously innovated and tried to actually uh, yeah, make what the customer do not yet know that they want. Maybe we need to do a bit of that as well. But I think one of the very important findings in the survey that I totally agree with, that is how to co-pilot the digital transformation because we as a bank normally had someone as head of the business, someone as head of technology, someone that's head of operations. And to keep up in, in the high pace that is currently underpinning everything we do in digital, that is too complicated. We, we need to sit together and, and have one, I mean, one mandate where we, in conjunction with it, together with each other, actually drive business. And I think that's what the survey said as well, that the business leaders want tech leaders to, or 50% of the business leaders wanted them, tech to provide them with a clear picture of, of IT's role in driving transformation. And at the same time, the tech leaders wanted the business people to have a better understanding of digital. So it's still sometimes a bit in falling in between the shares. Um, and I think that's, that's what we are at least trying to really make sure that things don't, um, to make sure that the, it's actually the business side that needs to take the responsibility of 
figuring out what new technology could provide by actually working very closely with people in technology. And I think that I don't see any other way right now, in particular in the topics you just discussed, the business needs to have a very deep understanding of, of both AI, DLT, and, and those kind of the potential to, to, or else it's very difficult to fantasize about the future services it could provide. Excellent. No, I love that imagery that you had of, a, of the co-pilot on the digital transformation journey. Um, I think that's that's probably the right way to go. So, Samir, what what do you think? How do you expect some of these views and priorities to change in the future? You know, the wonderful opportunity that Christian is talking about for firms like Broadridge are twofold. One, you know, we are innovators. We experiment with different types of technology. So, you know, whether it's AI or DLT repo, you know, we are there in the front and we're leading with these types of uh, use cases. So that is great. The second and perhaps even more important is the fact that what we develop, our clients can neutralize. So again, as Christian said, no one firm will necessarily have the budget, the bandwidth or the people uh, manpower to do it all by itself. But you know, when you have somebody like Broadridge that can neutralize this and actually have that technology advantage shared across multiple clients, there's huge benefit to the industry. Again, I think the things that people are trying to solve for are all the same. It's about cost, technology obsolescence. It's about innovation. It's about getting closer to their customers and getting new products out into the market. So the whole mutualization concept is really around build it once, serve many. So again, I think to me, that is what is so interesting about this ecosystem in terms of the value that you know we could drive you know to clients and the larger marketplace. Excellent. Wonderful. Christian and Tamira, thank you so much for chatting with me about uh, future technology and and uh, the priorities of the global financial services industry. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of the banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you'd like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.